Yeah, good morning. You are in part three of our Unshakable series. If you're new with us, my name is Chris Pate, and I'm the lead pastor here. Very, very happy to be with you and to continue to challenge everyone as we started a few weeks ago with our Purple Book Challenge. If you don't know what the Purple Book is, it's this. It's not a normal book where you read from cover to cover. It's actually more of a workbook that gets you in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it as you think through and understand what it means to build solid foundations on Christ and Christ alone. We want to continue to challenge you. If you have signed up for the Purple Book Challenge, but you have not received a Purple Book, it will not come through the matrix. I'm pro- I mean, we, I wish we could download it. It'd be great. Uh, but you'll have to go right here to the back to the connect area, and you can get one from our very own Shion, who is great. She will be back there, or Josh, one of our staff, will be there to get you your own purple book to go through the challenge. And you'll see on here, we're going to be trying to collect all of those and, and, and continue to push you into this. We're challenging you because, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we started the intro to this. We used the scripture that Jesus talked about with two people building a house, one built on sand and one built on a rock. And, and he pushed the people, don't build your life on man-made things. Don't build your life on sand. Build it on me, on the rock, which means you hear and you do what I'm asking you to do. And what is that? That's what we're venturing to do over the next several weeks. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? Because I don't know about you, but life comes... Rain comes, wind comes, and I become very shakable very quickly. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the author tells us that God will shake everything in the world and in your life until only kingdom things remain. Is that comforting or what? So sometimes we're like, man, the devil's after me. It's like, actually, it might be God. It might be God shaking some things because he's going, you got to get rid of that. Because I'm trying to build something stronger in you that's built on me, not your way, but my way. We, we started this series talking about Vince Lombardi, the famous coach, who had several Super Bowls. And after the Super Bowl, he would meet his team of professional athletes that have been playing football all of their life. And he would hold up a football and say, this gentleman is a football And he would take him outside and he would show them, this is the out of bounds, this is the end zone. And the football goes over the end zone. And of course, all of them. We're going, okay, yeah, yeah, we know. But he stressed fundamentals. He stressed the elemental, the foundational things, because that's what brought them together, it brings them together, and that's what sustains when everything else goes crazy. You're staying strong in those foundations. We want you to have a strong house built on the rock, not a house built on sand. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week, can we give G a hand for a great message last week? Thank you, Pastor G. Pastor G brought the message talking about salvation. What does it mean to be saved, to come under Christ and receive the gift of salvation? Because salvation was never meant to be achieved. If you could achieve it, I will give you a 10-step program, and you could go for it. And that's what most religions or every religion, every philosophy is, do these things, and these things will happen. Well, the gospel comes in, and it's not something to be achieved, but rather it's good news to be received. And that is what Jesus brought. In fact, I want to show you some theological terms for what that looks like. Because the Bible talks about Jesus has saved us from our past, praise God, from our present, and even in our future. His 
His wonderful salvation is, covers all of you. He is not in time. We are. But you are saved from your past. And in fact, Scripture says this. For by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8, through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is what's called salvation or justification. This idea is that you have been saved from the penalty of sin. And how many of you guys are, are so thankful we're saved from the penalty of sin? Come on. I know I deserve hell. I deserve everything that I did anything against myself, which is God's property, or someone else, which is God's property. When I was down with OPP, Jesus came and saved me, okay? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're welcome, G. You're welcome, G. This is the gospel. Justification. I've been saved from the penalty, so I'm not judged and condemned anymore. Praise God. Why, though? Why is that? Not, well, if I come to church and I do right and I tithe, and then I'm not. No, no, no. I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm justified just as if I've never sinned because Jesus came in my place and took that penalty, took that condemnation, died a death on the cross that I should have died. I should have died. And see, this is where it starts with humility in order to be able to receive. If you don't have humility, you will not have salvation. Humility is, yes, I need a savior to save me. Saves you from the penalty of sin. So listen, you can have assurance of your faith today. You can have assurance of your faith wherever you live, wherever you are, from Baytown to Katy, Clear Lake to Woodlands and beyond. Be assured of your salvation because Jesus took it. If you put your faith in him, thank you, God. But what does that then stir? What else did Jesus do? Well, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says that not only have you been saved from the penalty of sin, but you are not right now being saved from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. How many of you guys need some more power in your life? Listen, you've been saved from the penalty, but Jesus is saving you right now, even now. He's working something out in you. It's this word called sanctification. He's working out, and he wants to give you power. Listen, not just to be able to come against temptation and sin. That's where most of us stop. We're like, man, I need power to not lust. And that's not false, but it's not complete. I need power to not do this with my money, or I need power to not do this. And listen, that's a partial truth, but Jesus doesn't want to just give you power to not do bad things. He wants to give you power to enter into the things he has for you to do. It's called being on mission, and it's the sanctification process where he comes in and goes, hey, give me that. I'm like, bro, what? No, I'm just so thankful for the cross, but you can't have that. Hey, 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 give me that relationship. What? What? You know, most of our prayer life is, thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And Jesus wants to give you power to go beyond that into your will be done. He wants to push you 
into being on mission with him. And most of us miss out on this part of Christianity. And it's why we walk around limping and tired because it just became all about me and my salvation and not being a part of the story of God and being on mission to watch other people come to know God, to be a part of that healing or that ministry or that conversation or that reconciliation. That's what we're called into. And that part of Christianity is fun and hard because typically I have to say not my will because my will loves comfort, loves convenience. Lord, I don't want to go like Dewan and tip that person. Just give me some DoorDash, right? Uber, what? I'll take the eats because I don't have to get up. I don't have to put pants on even. Just drop it in my door. Appreciate it. Tip right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying don't do that. But if that's our Christian life, we're in really big trouble. As we sit on the armchair and watch everybody play the game, but we can call a foul, hey, that person's not preaching the gospel. Hey, that person's church. Hey, while we're sitting back eating our Cheetos, Lord, give me power just to make it for today. And that's a good prayer. It's not a complete prayer. And we're missing out on the sanctification process where God comes in and says, hey, I'm doing something in you. You're like, well, I don't like that. He's like, I'm okay to hurt you, but my hurt is always helpful. Other people will come and hurt you for their own benefit. I'm hurting you for your benefit. You ever played any sports? I remember the first time I was playing racquetball. And, I, and I'm playing with my dad, and, and, and he's showing me how to play when I'm young. And after that first day, I got all these blisters on my hand. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. He's like, let's go. You got to fight through it. You got to push. And I, and I did. I started pushing through it to kind of feel it. Basketball, football, it doesn't matter what you play. There's an element of pain that you have to learn resilience and pushing through because there is a process. And that's what sanctification is. It's a process of God setting you apart for this, for special use and a purpose you want to be used by God. He called you to salvation and freedom from sin. He's also called you on mission to walk people into that same direction. I love the book Atomic Habits, if you haven't read it. It's a book by James Clear, and it focuses on the power of these small incremental changes that build lasting habits. Whatever, if you, have, if you have like practices or things in your life that you're trying to do, whether it's lose weight or work out or, or get up early, whatever it is, you have to change your habits. But one thing I love that he focuses on, he gives a lot of practical things. One thing he focuses on is this idea of understanding your identity. And he says this, habits are not just what you do. They are a reflection of who you are. Your habits are a reflection of your identity. So it's important to focus on the person you want to become. So what he does is challenge If you're struggling with certain foods or something like that, you think, I want to be a healthy eater. I am a healthy eater. The more you start to identify yourself with that, the more you start doing healthy things. The more you start doing, I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete. I don't look like an athlete. I'm an athlete. But what it does is, instead of, no, I'm just a couch potato or I'm just this or that, I'm lazy, all those kind of things that we push into ourselves, he says identity comes first and then reality comes from that. And that's called faith. That is the process of sanctification. And it's the same thing in Christianity. It's coming here, getting in your word. Every time you open your word, like, oh, that's who I am. Oh, that's whose I am. 
I'm not a product, my dad's in prison right now. I'm not a product of a guy who has a father who's in prison and I'm just destined for that. That's not who I am. My DNA has changed when the spirit of God came in me and the Bible says I am now a new creation. Old things have passed, new things have come and I start to believe that and I start to step into it. I start to act like that. Why? That's called faith. Identity is always coupled with faith. Who you are in Christ more than who I am in this, in that, in whatever culture in the world wants to tell me. This is sanctification. And then finally, saved from the penalty of sin, you are being saved from the power of sin, and one day you will be saved from the very presence of sin, and it's a word called glorification. Mark 13 says this, Jesus is talking, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And most of us are like, all right, I'm out. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's just true. Are you saved? Yes. Past penalty, the present he's working out, giving you power, and getting rid of the power of the enemy and sin. One day from the very presence of sin, glorification will come and it will be beautiful. We long for that day and we bring that day slowly kingdom here, but not yet fully here now. The takeaway for the message today is last week we talked about salvation. Today is lordship, and the takeaway is this. The unshakable life lives in surrender to Jesus as Lord. Or another way I put it, God doesn't want to just be another app on your phone. He wants to be the operating system. If I had a mic, I would drop it. Okay. <laughs> Luke 14 Open your Bibles, check out the screen. That's this. Jesus, the most loving, wonderful Savior, healing the sick, loving people, adulterous women receiving them, all women empowering them as disciples in a culture that was very different. Then he says these words. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has had enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet far away off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's not very good altar call material. Why? There's three things we see in the scripture as Jesus helps us to bask on a amazing grace of God, the gift of salvation, 
but it doesn't really internalize in our heart. It's like that candy at your office that's just kind of stuck, and you're shaking to try to get it to drop. So many of us have, like, salvation is just stuck, but it hasn't fully dropped into lordship. We like the partial idea. We like the Jesus is the eight and a half pound baby Jesus that rocks out. I like Jesus. That's my savior, right? He's like this app that I really like, but I really like this Muhammad app too. And like, I'm, I'm really, really into this, this other app and this Buddha app and these crystal apps. Those are really hot. And the tarot cards, man, that thing, when I'm really struggling, that's what I go to. But then every once in a while, I'll swipe and get to Jesus. Alarm goes off. Right on time. Now, that's not very popular in our world, but understand this. If Jesus did come to save, he went through what he went through to save in our place, I think it's a little bit more than just say a quick prayer and move on with your life. In fact, that would be trampling, Hebrews says, on the blood of Jesus as you walk through your own path of life. Harsh, but we have to as we express how amazing grace is, and it's a gift that is given. If you haven't fully had the realization of how amazing that is, what he's done for me and in me, listen, you'll never step into the next phase of I give you everything. And the first phase is this is worship. The first response to Jesus as Lord is he becomes the ultimate love of our lives. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Listen, this is really strong words as he has this huge crowd behind him. He's like, I- I- I'm going I'm to sift this crowd a little bit. Because, see, you want me because I fed the 5,000 and you're looking for a handout. That's your idea of salvation. But salvation is not about giving you a handout for your circumstances. It's about changing your heart for relationship. And this is the message. He's like, i got to weed out people that just want my stuff but don't want me. Because you don't want to be married to anybody that just married you for your stuff. You want somebody that's in it for you. So when stuff happens to them, they're unmovable. Shake it. Because it's you. I'm you. That's the first love idea. He is your first love. As, as we first, if you've ever met a new couple, I'm doing a wedding right after this service. Like, I got to go to Conroe, and I'm doing a wedding, and it's great. I love doing weddings, and they're, they're, they're vowing to one another. There's so much love in the air. You've never looked better. You will not, never again look that good, by the way. And, and it's a beautiful thing, and you're all prepared, and love takes you so far. I mean, it really does. Like, when you're first in love, obedience is easy like, oh, no, I won't eat that because you don't like that. Oh, it's all good, right? And, and then something happens and that person breaks some trust and it puts seeds of doubt. Maybe they don't fully love me for who I am. And you start stepping back. Maybe, oh, they don't like what I like. And oh, I don't know about this. And you start stepping back and trust gets dissolved. The same thing happens in our Christianity. We get to know Jesus. We're like, wow, amazing grace. I'll do anything for you. And then on your way home, you get in a wreck and you go, what the heck, God? Like Napoleon Dynamite, like, what? What's going on? I thought you loved me, so everything was going to be easy. I will storm-proof your life, not give you a storm-free life, Jesus says. 
I will be the rock, but I'm going to put you in places. You know, God loves to hurt those he loves. You ever heard of Moses? That man went through some pain. But that pain was helpful because it like resilience built what God had in him in order to be able to endure all of the things that will come at him. But if everything just worked out and every whim and he just did this and God did it and he did this and God did it. Listen, that's not God. That's not Jesus. That's a genie. Jesus is not just your savior to be at your beck and call. He's also your Lord to command you to do what he's called you to do. And we have to have both. Listen, if you don't have a Jesus that can't take you down, you don't know Jesus. As a man, it's hard for me to really respect the dude that I know I could crush. And most of us crush God all the time and therefore never respect him. But when you look at him for who he is, whew, yes, sir. I don't love those orders, but I trust you. You're my first love. Love, when love remains, and you're feeding that love off your justification. You're going through the sanctification, being, being set apart, the hard times, the power that I need in order to get rid of the power of the enemy. In order to go through that, I always have to feed back on what Christ has done in me and for me and the gift of God, not something I've earned. Because that love now creates trust and that gap, oh, yeah, I could trust you, you're good. Oh, this is hard, I don't like this, you're telling me to do it, but I can trust you, you're good. This is why the enemy wants to come against your loves and give you other loves. If God, as he did to Jesus, if God really loved you, he would not put you in this desert. He would give you food. Why don't you turn that rock into bread? If you are the son of God, jump off this temple because God's going to take care of you. Psalm 91. The enemy loves to put those little seeds of doubt, and we love to walk in them. Oh, you're right. Need the scripture, we need each other to come back to our first loves. This actually reminds me of one of my favorite movies. It's an older movie, but it's called The Count of Monte Cristo. And in this movie, this guy breaks out of a prison called the Chateau d'If, which is right outside the small island outside the Bay of Marseille. And he's he's gone years, trained, learned so many things, was able to break out of this, and you find him on the beach right away and check out, see what happens in this clip. So, mi amici, I would ask who you are, but in view of your shredded clothes and the fact that the Chateau d'If is two miles away, what's the point? As for me, I am Luigi Vampa, a smuggler and a thief. My men and I have come to this island to bury alive one of our number who attempted to keep some stolen gold for himself instead of sharing it with his comrades. Interestingly enough, there are some of his more loyal friends who are insisting that I grant him mercy. Which, of course, I cannot do, or I will quickly lose control of the old crew. That's why you are such a fortunate find. Why is that? You provide me with a way to show a little mercy to Jacopo, that maggot you see tied up over there, while at the same time not appearing weak. And as a special treat, the lads will get to see a little sport as well. How do I accomplish all this? We watch you and Jacopo fight to the death. If Jacopo wins, we welcome him back to the crew. If you win, I have given Jacopo the chance to live, even if he did not take advantage of it, and you can take his place on the boat. What if I win and I don't want to be a smuggler? 
Then we slit your throat and we rip it short-handed. I find smuggling is the life for me and would be delighted to kill your friend the maggot. Oh, and by the way, Jacobo is the best knife fighter I've ever seen. Perhaps you should get out more. <laughs> Release Jacobo and give him back his knife. Then we let the games begin. <laughs> Vampa, allow Jacopo to live. He's already suffered enough with the prospect of being buried alive. The men that wanted to see some sport have seen it. Those who wanted mercy for Jacopo will get it. And by keeping me in Jacopo, you will have yet another skilled sailor and fighter for your crew. It's a deal. <laughs> I swear my dead relatives. Even on the ones that are not feeling too good. I am your man forever. I know. I love that scene. Makes an oath after he receives salvation. And the oath is, I should have died. You saved me. I'm your man forever. Love and worship come easy when you remember what you're saved from. It's a natural inclination. And scripture says, John 14, you've heard me say this before. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Most of us read that and we hear, obey me to show that you love me. That's not what he said. He said the natural desire of the heart when love is present and first love is to do what I'm asking you to do. Because I trust you. Love you. Worship comes first in lordship. Then there's a cost. Jesus uses this illustration of building a tower and warns that it's making a hasty decision to follow him. Remember, he says, get rid of everything. I'm not telling you you have to hate your parents. Listen, he's, he's being somewhat facetious. He's saying, in your idea and in your understanding how much you love for me, it should look like hate for other people because you're so devoted for me. But not only that, but hate yourself in an extent. Listen. Or, or don't focus so much on loving yourself. In a world, in an age today that's just all about my love, my self-filling, I'll do it my way. That's, that's what we're fighting constantly. And it's, listen, it's not all wrong, but again, it's incomplete. Because Jesus actually said, if you love yourself so much, then it's still about you. You should question yourself a little bit in your self-love and self-care and not, yes, sir. And it's going to take a cost. That cost is the sanctification process. Because here's the deal. Acceptance is a gift. Thank you, God, I'm accepted. But intimacy you have to work for. We don't work to earn, but we earnestly fight. 
continue the relationship with God that he's called us to. This is the problem. A lot of us just see Jesus as this lamb just sacrificing, which is true, but see, Scripture also gives the flip side of the coin. He's a lion. I love in the book, I've got the, the movie pictures up here, but in the book, this beaver is talking about Aslan, the lion, to Susan. He says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's, he isn't safe. We do come to a lamb, thank you, God, in salvation. But listen, in lordship, and he's both, we come to a lion that we revere. Yes, sir. You are God. Who am I? The humility that continues in whatever you would like. Listen, because Jesus, when you bring and give him your life, it's not just safe. He's actually not safe. He's going to take you into places that are not safe. Trust in his goodness as he's calling you out. As we sing, out in the waters, and we sing that, and then he's like, hey, go talk to that person. No, I'm good. Okay, we're going to walk on water, I think. I'm thinking I'm going to do that. Like, okay, baby step. Talk to your neighbor. And maybe you'll end up talking to them about me, but just be present with someone and love on them. And then there's a cost. Finally, as we wrap up, there's the surrender. I surrender. Our life should be continuously surrendering obedience to Jesus. Announcing anything that would get in the way of It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's actually saying, yes, sir. I'm done. Scripture promises this. Though you stumble, because you're not going to be perfect, but God is trying to perfect you. You have to let him. Like a good coach with an athlete, he's not like, hey, it's fine, you didn't run that route, we got an interception, it's all good, bro. That's the God most of us think we serve. And yet he does say, hey, I'm putting you back on the field, but you need to get this right. Because I love you, and I have good things for you. There is a surrender, and he says, so therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot. the cost. Check your loves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyr for Jesus, says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to yourself. I was watching a video recently, uh, Ethan Suple, I don't know if you know who he is, he was the big white kid actor in Remember the Titans, like the huge 500 pound kid, right? He lost about 300 pounds quoted say one of the things that helped him was this identity portion but he says this every night at midnight he says you will meet a clone of yourself from 24 hours ago you will fight your clone to the death if you have done even one thing to be better than you were 24 hours ago you will be victorious this is the question he asks what have you done to kill your clone today scripture talks about this you've got this flesh warring against you i don't want to do that I don't want to do that. And this flesh, God doesn't just take the flesh away. He works that flesh out. Listen, he will deliver you 
and get rid of demons, but you can't exercise or cast out flesh. And God, in his grace and mercy, push through that, push through that. Kill your clone today. That clone that's trying to tell you, you're not good enough, you can't do it, this is who you are. And he says, that's not who you are. One of the best things me and my wife ever did in parenting is to push in our kids, you are a pate. This is who you are. This is how we act. And it's not to put in a place and make them feel condemned, but in a place of, no, this is the kind of person we are going to be like. And we're trying to change our family tree because our family was not like that. So it takes a lot of faith, a lot of word, a lot of community to remind me who I am. So then I can pour that into my children, pour that into people that I'm discipling, because it's not about me and my way and my family tradition and my past. It is about him and everything that he has done. My identity gets shifted into him as I kill the clone. That's not the Chris I want to be. It's not who I am. Holiness starts to be different. It's not something I have to do. Now it's something I get to do because I'm a child of God. Disciplines that Jesus calls us to is not something I have to do. It's something I get to do because that's who he's called me to be and what he's paid me to When I was in Abilene, I lived there for about eight years. And we had this police officer in our church that trained German shepherds. And he had the German shepherds, oh, you've seen those police dogs, they'll go and sniff cars and do all that kind of stuff. He actually trained the one. And our worship leader at the time just got a baby, a puppy puppy, German shepherd, and he was teaching him how to train him right. And here's what he did. When he was a puppy, he would walk him and he would teach him how to do commands and stuff like that. But then at one time, they were walking around the park and this professional trainer looks at my friend and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that dog and pin him down and just hold him there. And he pins him down and that dog's scratching and biting him and he's starting to bleed a little bit. And he's just like, just pin him down. And he's like, he's feeling bad. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to pin it. Like, I feel bad. And he's like, this is what you have to do. And he pins him down until he finally shows him his neck and just relaxes. And he says, now that dog knows you're the alpha. You're an authority. Respects you and trusts you. And that dog was different. When he got him up, he started obeying him, doing what he asked because because he got pinned down, he had to surrender. And then my friend Troy, the police officer said, here's the deal though, knowing these dogs, might be a year from now, might be two years from now, that dog will challenge you one more time. And here's what you have to do, you have to pin it down again. And when it's bigger, it's harder. You have to hold it down, even though it scratches you and pulls you and bites you. You have to hold it down until it submits and surrenders again, and then you'll have him for life. Here to say, so many of us have experienced the pin downness of God. So we finally surrendered. And so many of us started following and trusting, and then something happened and we challenged God again. He's pinning you down, maybe even right now. The reason why we can surrender is because we serve a God named Jesus who allowed the Father to pin him down 
And while people bit him and he bled and he persecuted, suffered for our transgressions, we watch a God that was willing to surrender, a God of the universe that no one could defeat, allowed himself to be defeated for a moment. Surrendered his life to God. God made him the name above every name. Acts 2.36 said, God made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you.